three different blessings that three different fathers had to give. And there's something that I believe all of us not only need to give, but in order to give it, we must possess it of ourselves. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, Hebrews 11, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, speaking of Egypt, and gave commandment concerning his bones. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that are in here today, and Lord, I believe we need these now more than ever. I do pray for our dads. I pray they would receive this, Lord, this morning to their hearts. It's your word. It's quick and living. It's not mine, and I pray we'd receive it, allow it to change us if need be, that we might be the dads that we need to be. But then for those that are here as well this morning that are not dads, I pray we would see these truths are timeless and, Lord, are are something we all need. And I pray that, Lord, your will be done today. And I thank you for the grace and the liberty. And I pray that you would have your will and way, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, I was trying to think of how to introduce this message. And I was reminded of an Andy Griffith episode that I saw many years ago. And um, I'll tell you something bad that I said in the early service. Uh, You know, sometimes things pop in your head and the watchman, you kind of just, you you know, you give him leave for a minute, the watchman over our mouth, and you say things. I probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, I saw it on reruns, but many of you probably saw it for the first time when it actually aired the first time. But it was a 1960, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't I? I I quenched the spirit right in the introduction. But in 1961, the Andy Griffith Show uh, aired an episode entitled, Those Gossiping Men. It was an episode, you may not remember the title of it, you probably remember the episode very well, because it's the one to where Barney was cleaning his gun and cut his finger cleaning his gun. And so Andy goes over to the drugstore to get some sulfur powder, I believe is what it was, for his finger. When he walks into the drugstore, there is Aunt B and all of the other ladies getting up on the latest gossip of what was going on around town. And they ask Andy what he was doing there. And Andy says, I'm here to get some sulfur powder for Barney's finger. He hurt his finger while he was cleaning his gun. Uh, Well, that wasn't good enough for the ladies. The ladies automatically assumed that something else had taken place, and Andy, because he's a prideful male, was covering for another prideful male, and something was really worse, wrong. And so the ladies began to talk, and they, they just surmised that Barney had probably been cleaning his gun, and his gun went off. And so one lady told the story of what she thought to one lady, that she thought the gun went off and Barney had gotten hurt through that, and so on and so forth. The story kept passed down from person to person to person. And by the time the story got back to Barney at the sheriff's department, it was someone calling, I believe, to ask Barney how he was doing because they heard he was shot in the chest. Barney goes running into Andy and says, uh, what's this about me getting shot? He says, what do you mean? He says, well, I heard that I was shot in the chest. And Andy says, well, were you? He says, no, I think I would know if I was shot in the chest. But what happened was something very simple started. And as it was passed from person to person, each time the handoff was made, a little bit of truth was lost and a lot of opinion was added. And by the time the story finished out, there was very little truth in the story to get to end with and a whole lot of opinion that Barney had finally been shot. Now, when I thought about that, the reason I thought about that in a lot of the message this morning is how often is that the case with the passing down of our Christian faith? 
Every generation passes down the faith to the next generation, and whether or not you pass down what you receive, that's up to you, but you will pass down some form of faith to the generation that comes behind you. I fear what has happened throughout the years is we have passed down a deluded version of the faith than we received. Uh, There was a pure faith, a powerful faith, a potent faith, and we received a version of that, not even potent what we received, but I fear the faith we will pass to the next generation will be a much more deluded faith than we received of ourselves. It's a lot like the United States of America. I feel we owe these children that are here this morning a great apology. Uh, I will not pass to my daughter the country that I received. I grew up in the 1980s where I mentioned a few weeks ago you could still sleep with your windows open and maybe even your doors unlocked. I'm not sure about that, but nowadays that is impossible. Uh, We have multiple locks and deadbolts and security systems on our house and we're afraid to walk the streets at times and whatnot. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Just like our country... We are not going to pass down as a potent of faith as we receive. We've allowed it to become diluted. And let me tell you why that's dangerous. That's dangerous because the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4 that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Can I tell you what the future generations, not just the future, but we as well, what they are going to need to overcome the world they are going to live in, they are going to need a very potent faith. And I fear the faith that we are poised to pass to them is not very potent at all. As a matter of fact, I believe our faith is more of a profession than anything. I do not believe it's a very potent profession uh, or possession. So this morning, if we are going to help the next generation go through the country they're going to inherit, and I, I can't even tell you what that's going to look like. Could any of us have predicted the country would look like this six months ago? Can you imagine what the next six months may hold? Well, the next six years may hold. The next 60 years, I don't imagine I'm going to be here. Number one, I believe I'm going to be raptured out of here before then. But if the Lord were to tarry in the next 60 years, I doubt that I'll make it to 100. I hope that I will, but I doubt that I will because I just enjoy greasy food too much. Let's just put it where it is. But God forbid our children tarry another 60 years. What country are they going to grow up in? They are going to need the most potent faith that we have ever seen to overcome the world they're going to be living in. And the sad thing is, right now, we don't have that faith to pass to them. We talk about passing faith to the next generation, to the next generation. Can I tell you a a very important truth this morning? You've got to have it to pass it. You've got to have it to pass it. No longer can we live by the old adage of do as I say, not as I do. That's not going to cut it for our children. We are going to have to pass to them a faith that is even more potent than the one that we have because the one that we have is not enough. How many of God's people have been shaken and how many even of God's people have folded spiritually during this pandemic? And by the way, I've told you many times, the pandemic has merely been an inconvenience to most of us. You have no idea what's coming down the pipe. You have no idea what the future generations are going to face. They're going to need a robust faith and it's not our faith. It's the faith of our fathers. That's what they need. They need that potent faith from way back, the potent faith that helped establish this country, that fervent faith that stood through the times of war and Great Depression. That's the faith they're going to need. And the only way we can pass it to them is if we possess it of ourselves. 
So this morning we're going to look at three different dads and we're going to look at the faith that they pass to their children and to their grandchildren. And why are we doing that? Well, we're going to go back to the real faith. I, I do, I fear today the faith that we have is really a profession. That's all it is, it's profession, it's something we talk about. It's not something I believe that most Christians will be able to weather the storms through. We've got to go back and get back to the undiluted faith, and we're going to see that in three dads this morning. So for you dads, I hope you're paying attention to the faith they're passing down. And for all of you that are here this morning, I want you to understand, you have the choice to decide what kind of faith you have. You can have a diluted faith if you want. They can barely get you out of bed on Sunday morning to come to God's house. Or you can have the type of faith that can weather whatever is coming in the future of our country. So let's look at these three things right quickly. Look down to verse 20. And let's look at Isaac first. <clears throat> the Bible says here in the hall of fame of faith, what a privilege it must have been that God put their story in here. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Stop right there before I give you the first point. I want you to notice something. The blessings that he gave to his children came by way of faith. By faith, he blessed. Now, let me ask you a quick question before we move into the message this morning. If the blessings that you pass to your children are a reflection of the faith that you have now, what kind of a blessing would you be able to give your child today? By faith, he blessed. I hope you have the type of faith that you would be able to bless your children with a great faith. But understand, folks, I believe today that if we pass our faith that we have right now to our children, it'll be much less than the faith that we inherited of ourselves. But look at what he did in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. How did he do that? The Bible says concerning things to come. I want to show you what a real faith is and what a real faith does. The Bible says that he blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Focus in on those last three words, the things to come. As he lay there on his deathbed, by the way, all three of these are about to leave this present world and go to the next one. And as they prepared to leave this life, they left a blessing of faith. But notice what Isaacs did. It was a preparing faith. Number one this morning, notice that real faith makes us prepared. Real faith makes us prepared. You say, well, how do you get that? In verse number 20, notice what Isaac blessed them with was concerning things to come. He says, look, I want my children to know what is coming and to not only know what's coming, but to be prepared for the things to come. And can I tell you the best way we can prepare our children, our sons and our daughters and our grandsons and granddaughters for what's coming in the world is to give them a faith that can handle whatever things are to come. I don't know what they're going to face. I don't know what they're going to go through. But I still want them to have the blessings of God. Isaac sits down the boys and he says, hey, I want to tell you about things to come. What is he doing? He's preparing them. I fear we're sending out a lot of Christian young people into the world who grew up in church their whole life, may have even went to our Christian school, and yet they are spiritually unprepared for things to come. And how sad is that? We prepare them for everything under the sun. Uh, we put them in seat belts. You may even put a helmet on your kid when they're out there playing on the playground. You know, put those mouth guards in, protecting those teeth that we invested thousands of dollars in. We try to prepare them for everything. We give them a great education. Why? We want them prepared, don't we? We have good health insurance. We take them to the doctor and take them for regular checkups. Why? We want them prepared. My wife and I figured up a while back, our greatest expenditure in our budget uh, as of a couple of years ago was insurance. 
insurance, health insurance, life insurance, car insurance, whatever kind of insurance we got, computer insurance, tire insurance. We got all kinds of insurance, drone insurance. We've got all kinds of insurances. And when you add all of those insurances up, that was our greatest expenditure in our family's budget. What is insurance? Is insurance for now? No, no, no. Insurance is for things to come. You have house insurance just in case a fire or a tornado were to come. What is insurance? It's preparation. You have car insurance. You don't buy car insurance after you get in a wreck, do you? If you can, I, I want to know the name of your company because I'll sign up for that any day of the week. No, you buy insurance as a preparation for things to come. Think about all the preparations we make in our life. I remember before my daughter was born, we got this, this ad in the mail for Gerber Life Insurance. Not only do they sell baby food, but evidently they sell insurance as well. I think we signed up for it, like $5, $10 a month. Uh, I mean, insurance is a preparation, but the sad thing is we make so many preparations for our children other than the spiritual ones. We are not preparing our children and the next generation for the things that are to come. And the sad thing is the things that are coming have been, are nothing compared to what we're going through right now or what we're going through right now, vice versa. They're going to see things we've never faced and go through things we could have never imagined. And the least we can do as a spiritual mom and dad is give them some preparation for whatever is coming their way. Years ago, my dad taught me to roof. I hate roofing. I hate it. You guys that like roofing, it's a calling. It's got to be. It's like, you know, doctors and nurses, that's got to be a calling. I had a lot of dental work this last week. And uh, you know the noise and all of that. I'm thinking that's got to be a calling because my skin's crawling just sitting here and they're sitting, doing all that stuff, giving you those shots with that great big needle. You know that he hides behind his back before he comes in and hits you in the mouth with that. That's like, it's kind of got to be a calling. Now, folks, can I tell you something this morning? You roofers have got to be a calling because I hate it. But why did my dad teach me how to roof? Here's what he told me. I'll never forget. I was a teenager. He says, son, he says, you don't always have a full-time ministry job. Sometimes you're just going to have to work wherever God calls you. And when God called us to Louisiana, I wasn't putting on roofs. I was riding on a garbage truck. But learning how to work is a good thing, mom and dad. That's a great preparation for life for your kids. I think it would help a whole lot of our kids if they learn how to work. But I didn't like it at the time. I didn't enjoy learning how to roof. But I'll tell you something, it came in handy. There were times the bills got tied, and there was times work slowed down, and there were times the money wasn't all there, and lo and behold, there's a roof job to go out there and do. I was so glad that my dad had given me something that prepared me for things that was coming. And I tell you, folks, the only way we can prepare our kids to overcome the world, whatever it looks like that they're going to live in, is to give them an undiluted, potent faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But our problem is we have faith in everything else. We, we tell them, boy, if you go to college, nothing wrong with going to college. You get a good education, you're going to make it. But I'll tell you something. The devil's not afraid of our children's education. Listen, there's nothing wrong with our kids being healthy. and There's nothing wrong with our kids being strong. But in the end, it's not physical strength that scares off the devil. It's a spiritual strength. It's faith that overcomes the world that they're going to need. And the problem is we're passing down to them a deluded faith that's not going to hold up. It's not going to hold up. I mean, I've seen Christians who've been in church all their life, and this, just this pandemic has shaken them. Notice what Isaac is doing. By faith, he blessed them. How? Concerning things to come. Proverbs 22, 6, the Bible tells us to train up a child. Do you know what training is? It's preparation. 
Train up a child in the way that he should go. Notice it's forward thinking to the future toward things that come. Train up a child in the way that he should go. What does it mean? Give him some preparation. The Bible tells in Ephesians chapter 6 that provoke not our children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word admonition means direction. We wonder why our country's lost its way. Can I tell you why? Because it's being run by a bunch of people that were never trained or given any direction. The Bible says that a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. That's the word of God. And we see our country is just in shame and in shambles, and we have the audacity to sit back and wonder why it's in the shape that it's in. I'll tell you why. Because we as the people of God, moms and dads, never gave our children direction. We taught them how to play. Let me tell you something. My daughter was born knowing how to play. Right now she's on her phone playing. No, she's not really. She doesn't have a phone. You better not. She didn't have to, listen, I didn't have to teach my daughter how to play. I didn't have to teach her how to goof off or be lazy. She came hardwired for that, and she got it from her dad, all right? It's in there, all right? She looked at me like I insulted her. It's in there, I promise you, it's in there. You got it from me. You didn't get it from your mom's side, but you got it from me. It's in there. But I had to teach her in the way that she should go. Why do I do that? Because I love her, and I want her to be prepared for what's coming. You say, well, what's coming? I don't know. But I've got to give her something that can overcome whatever's coming. And the Bible says that's faith. And you better make sure there's something you pass down to the future generations that are coming. You better pass down a faith that can overcome whatever's coming their way. But remember, you have to have it to pass it. We cannot tell them to do as I say and not as I do. I think about all that we put in our kids education, we put in our health, nothing wrong with that, all right? You know, we have a Christian school here. I'm pro-school. So the preacher's got to preach against education, so we're pulling you out, and we're going to send you to the factory. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? What I am saying, though, is we ought to, at very least, put as much as equal amount of spiritual preparation into them. Because the devil has never been afraid of a college degree. Doesn't scare him off. Matter of fact, from time to time, I have three of them in my office. I have to dust them off. They start collecting dust. Can I, can I tell you, the devil has the audacity to come in my office sometimes and bother me and harass me, even with those degrees up on the wall. I thought they'd be like a wood steak and garlic to a vampire, but evidently they don't bother him. But you know what does bother him? Faith. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But we've got to make sure we give them a potent faith. I'm talking about a faith that not only gets you up on Sunday morning, but Sunday night and Wednesday night and gets you to the house of God. That's what they're going to need. A faith that prepares them for future things concerning the things to come. Yesterday, we were dri- or Friday, we were driving to New Orleans. I was preaching a high school graduation for a Christian school down there. And as we were driving, we were talking with our daughter about the country. And she's getting old enough to kind of understand politics and how things work and all the division that we have in America right now. And she was asking, why is it and how is it going on and stuff like that. And so we just had a little bit of an uh, American government class there as so we went down the road. And we were talking about how the left says this and the right don't like it. And the right says you shouldn't say that. And the right says this and the left don't like it. And so they say you shouldn't say this. And can I tell you, let me tell you something. Zoom out from all the issues that are going on right now. Can I tell you one of the biggest issues that our country's facing? Well, the greatest crisis that our country is facing right now is simply the freedom of speech. Nobody on either side of the arguments all over our country wants the other one to say something that they do not like. And you say, why is that so important? I told my daughter, I says, don't you ever think for a second this is not coming back to the church. Because sooner or later, what I preach from this book out of this pulpit is going to be called offensive. 
and we've started a trend. We're starting a trend. And one day, preachers all over this country will be shouted down from their pulpits because we started the trend of because I don't like what you say, you have to stop saying it. Don't listen. That's the devil's end game. Do not be mistaken. That's the end game. It's coming to a church near you. So I'm telling my daughters, we're going down to New Orleans to spend half a day together before the graduation, some family time. And you talk about a bummer of a trip starting off. You're just giving her this doom and gloom scenario. The world's about to end. What a way to start family time, right? So why did you tell her that? Because she needs to hold up for the cause of Christ regardless of the circumstances. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come. I don't like talking about perilous time. I'm the glass half full guy, all right? I try to be optimistic. The glass three quarters full in my life. But the truth is we're living in perilous times. But in spite of the times, we've got to hold up. How do we hold up in perilous times? You have to have an undiluted faith. How do you get that? Well, somebody needs to pass it to you. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Dads, can I encourage you something this morning? A real faith will prepare your children for whatever things are coming. A real faith. Look down to verse 21. Let's look at Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. So we have son and grandsons here that Jacob's adopted into the promises that God's prepared The Bible says, and worshiped leaning upon the top of a staff. Now, obviously, we know verse 20, 21, 22 are dealing with a lot of the physical blessings and the promises of what God has prepared for them. But I'll tell you, one of the greatest blessings that Jacob is giving his son and grandsons in verse number 21 is not something you can hold with your hands. But it is something they could observe with their eyes. Now, what was it? The Bible says at the end of verse 21 that he worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. Now, I want you to try to get a picture of this, okay? Does everybody's imagination still work? I'm 40. Mine's still working great, all right? I'm imagining all of you are enjoying this this morning. I'm just, you're all smiling in my eyes this morning. I mean, it really is. That's the way it works, okay? Let's imagine this image. Here comes the son and the grandsons. Grandfather's very old, obviously. The Bible says he worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. So as they come in to receive their blessing from their grandfather, from their father, watch what's happening. If you read back in Genesis when this happens, you kind of get a picture of what's happening. He put one hand on the bedpost and his other hand was leaning upon his staff. And what is he doing at this moment? The Bible says he's worshiping. Why is that so important? You know, God could have just said he was leaning on his staff, but God chose in his inerrant, infallible, preserved word to put the word worshiped in there. Now imagine this picture. In spite of the fact that he's old, he's physically weak, his time is drawing to a near, to, near to the end, Jacob is showing them what really matters. He's worshiping. Number two, notice that real faith gives us priority. Real faith gives priority. What a lasting image they must have had of their their father and grandfather. That here in his last moments, instead of, you know, being stretched out, he made his way, he muscled his way up to the corner of his bed and his staff, and there he gave one of one of the greatest blessings he could give them, and that was the blessing of the priority of his faith. 
In his last moments, he showed them what really mattered and the fact that he was worshiping God. What an image that left in their mind that grandpa didn't just hit cruise control and finish out weak. He didn't flame out for God. Grandpa was worshiping all the way to the end. I'll guarantee you that impacted their mind. What a priority worship must have been to Paul. Can I tell you something? I had a great grandmother. Her name was Laylee May Linder. We called her Maul Linder. She was the last charter member of her church. She died at 94. And we thought she was going to die many times before that because she's gotten bad health. We go to the hospital. But she was that old stock, man, that just, that just hung around. And how she hung around so long, Brother Jim, I don't know. Because if you saw some of the stuff she ate, it was against everything the CDC says will keep you alive. I mean, it was bad. She used to make chicken and dumplings. She'd sit there at the table, and she was deboning the chicken that she boiled. And she's pulling the meat out, putting the dumpling pot, putting the, the meat over in there. And every once in a while, she'd pull out a thigh. And when she pulled out the thigh, the, uh, the chicken skin would come off in her hands. And I'm sitting there at the table thinking, don't do it. <laughs> no. Surely not. I think that's in Deuteronomy somewhere. That's got to be wicked. That's got to be bad. And she would just... I don't even think she had to swallow it. I think it just slithered down like a raw oyster. I just think she puts it in there and it just... How did she live to be 94? I have no idea. I used to love going to her house. She lived in Pascagoula on Lanier Avenue. We'd go stay at her house. We'd sleep on the floor. And she went to bed every night at 9 o'clock. Now, we're kids. We're not going to bed at 9 o'clock. But for Linder, we had to go to bed that early because that was her, her thing. But here's the deal. We'd be asleep on the living room floor. But at 10 o'clock, she had this internal clock. At 10 o'clock, she's waking up to watch the nightly news. And she was very hard of hearing. And so she cranked it up. So you're laying there almost dozing off to sleep. And all of a sudden, live action news. You know, you think the Lord's coming back all of a sudden. It was what's well, great memories at Mollender's house. But I remember, I don't know why I told you all that. Uh, when she was dying, we went to Singing River Hospital to see her. She's laying there in her hospital bed. And she said she wanted some raw oysters with Tabasco sauce. And so somebody that's dying, you get them whatever they want. And so we got our oysters, and she's sitting there eating them like the chicken skin. (laughs) Somebody gave I've eaten one raw oyster in my life, and I made the mistake of trying to chew it. It just grows. I mean, just anyway. She's laying there in bed. She had eaten her oysters. She said, you know what? I think I want to sing a hymn. So all the families gathered around the bed, and some of our family was not as spiritual, and uh, you know may not have knew the words. Boy, that's embarrassing when you don't know Amazing Grace. I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. You need to learn that one, all right? At least learn that. That's in your Christian handbook. You all know that one at the very least. That and the Star Spangled Banner, and you'll feel like an all-American Christian, okay? So she's laying there in bed, and she starts to sing Amazing Grace. Family members started to chime in. Nurses walked in. She encouraged the nurses to sing too. Everybody's sitting there singing. That was 2001, almost 20 years ago, and I still remember that to this day. It made an indelible mark in my mind of the faith of my great-grandmother. You see, this is what Jacob is doing. Jacob is showing them that his faith is a priority. This is not something that you flame out or quit or put on cruise control. He passed down to his son and his grandsons a potent faith, and he proved it to them by the priority of worshiping. Can I tell you something this morning? One of the best things you could ever pass to your children is a potent faith that puts a priority on worship. 
Worship's not something we just get around to when we can. Worship's not something we do when we feel like. Worship is a priority in your household. What a blessing you would do to your children if you passed down to them a potent faith that had a priority on the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do you know it's a priority? Well, I'll tell you how I know. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. Do you know how that's how you figure out what's a priority in your life? Priorities are things you still do. Think about it. Priorities are things you still do. You can tell the garbage at my house is not a priority. We're out of garbage bags, by the way. It's not a priority. I just thought of that. Had to tell her I'd forget it, okay? You say, well, how do you know? Because I don't still do it. My wife, I told you, she's learned how to do this. She ties the bag up and puts it in front of the door where I have to move the bag just to get in the car. She's, I'm not going to be able to say I didn't see it. I had to see it. I had to move it just to leave the house. But she knows that garbage is not a priority on my list because I don't still do it. And you want to know what priorities are in your life? It's what you still do. It's not just what you started. It's what you still do. You know, anybody can start worshiping God. Anybody can start coming to church. Anybody can start reading their Bible. Anybody can start praying. But I'm going to tell you, what's a priority is stuff that not only do you start, you still do. You keep doing Give an example. What was Job doing before all of his calamity? He was worshiping. Go read your Bible, Job chapter 1. He was worshiping. He was offering sacrifices for his children. What a dad. What a dad. What was Job doing in the middle of his crisis? The Bible says he fell down on his knees and he worshiped. What was Job doing at the end of his crisis? He was still worshiping. Do you know why? Because worship was a priority. And he proved it by what he was still doing. What about Daniel? Think about Daniel. What was Daniel doing before the threat? He was just worshiping. What was Daniel doing during the threat? He was worshiping. What was Daniel doing after the threat? He's still worshiping. Evidently, worship was a priority to Daniel. Now, folks, I know, look, we don't like those, uh, we don't like absolutes. We like those gray areas where we can wiggle out of and excuse our lack of faith. But the truth is, you're going to prove your priority by what you still do. And here's Jacob. I see Jacob laying there in his bed. He grabs the end of the bedpost. He eases up on his staff. By the way, there's a wonderful message in Genesis 32 when you look at the staff because he's praying to God as Esau comes up. Jacob is, and he says, you brought me across Jordan with my staff. Oh, that staff had been with Jacob throughout his journey of faith. That staff was like a testimony of the goodness and blessing of God. And now he's pulling up on that staff one more time. And leaving to his son and his grandsons the greatest inheritance, and that is a blessing of a faith that a priority on the worship of God. Even though he was sick and not feeling good and about to die, he just served as Paul did in all seasons. Let me throw this out there. Jacob was not a perfect dad. We know that. Jacob could be a rascal at times. But boy, when it mattered, he gave them something they needed, and that was a faith. They had a priority of a worship on God. One of the things I found funny when I first started pastoring is oftentimes people don't call you and tell you they're going to miss church unless they have a really good excuse. If they don't have a good excuse, they just miss, all right? They don't show up. And I used to have a family in our church. I, I love them. I really do. I was trying to grow them. And I remember telling my dad, I said, Dad, you know, I got people in my church with problems. He says, well, if they didn't have problems, they probably wouldn't need you there. And so that's a good point, you know. And I had this one family. I, didn't, I wouldn't see them for two, three, four months. And my phone would ring on Sunday morning. I'd see their number. Like, hey, this is a good call. They'd say, hey, just to let you know we got the flu. We're not going to make it today. 
I'm like, well, you hadn't been in four months to begin with, you know? Why are you telling me you're not coming this Sunday? It's not like any other Sunday, but they felt like, you know what? I finally got a good excuse not to be at church today. I'm going to call and tell the preacher about it, all right? So now everybody knows don't do that, all right? Or I'll use you as an illustration next time, okay? That's just kind of how that works. Here's what I want you to see. How often, how often do we look for excuses not to have faith and to do what God told us to do? As long as we have an excuse, as long, you know what, I woke up this morning and my, my hangnail, man, isn't that just horrible when it catches the side of those new socks I gave you today, it just hurts. Oh man, I don't know if I can make it and we're just ooh, wallowing it on the ground. I mean, I got an excuse today. But the only way that we're going to pass down a more potent faith is for us, as Paul Bear Bryant once says, to learn to talk ourselves out of our excuses. Our children are going to need it. Listen, dads. Dads, your kids are going to need a faith beyond what you have right now. They're going to face persecution. I believe my daughter, her generation, and the others her age in this building this morning will face a situation where there will be persecution outside those doors while they're seeking to worship. I believe that with all of my heart. You see, I don't see that. I didn't see where we're at now six months ago. Where we're at. And oh, they're going to need to hold up. We owe them an apology, but there's nothing we can do about it now. The thing we can do for them the most that's going to help them the most is give them a potent faith that will help them have a spiritual backbone in spite of their circumstances that will help them stand when everything gets difficult. They're going to need that. But in order to give them a priority of faith, we must have a priority of faith ourselves. I want you to know the faith of our fathers, and I don't just mean these guys here, but the generations who came before us, the generation that built this property, uh, theirs wasn't a profession. It wasn't just something they talked about. My goodness, we're good at talking about our faith, aren't we? Now we have social media where we can all talk about our faith to everybody and quote ourselves about how much we have faith. The truth of the matter is the generations that established something in this country for the cause of Christ, it wasn't just a profession, it was a priority. They talk themselves out of their excuses. Here's Jacob showing them that real faith is a priority of worship. Now look down real quickly to verse 22. Let's look at Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Obviously, he's talking about Egypt when they would leave Egypt and Joseph comes to die. And Joseph says, I want you to know something, uh, that when I die, when you guys get ready to leave Egypt, I want you to carry me with you. Don't leave me here. I want you to see what's going on here. Here's Joseph. He's about to die. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm about to die, I, I'm going to be very selfish and sentimental. And I'm going to be, you know, probably crying the blues. But Joseph's looking beyond the moment that he's living in. And trying to encourage those that are coming behind them, him to persevere through the land they're living in. He says, I don't plan on staying here. I might die here, but I'm not staying here. You be sure to get my bones out of here because I'm not staying in Egypt. And he was looking beyond the country that he was living in. Number three, real faith will help us persevere. You see, he was looking beyond the country they were living in. He says, I don't plan on staying here even after I die. I don't plan on staying here. Be sure you get me out of here. He was showing them that real faith looks beyond where you are now to where God wants to take you later. 
And I assure you, if we give our young people and the generations behind us a real faith, they will be able to persevere beyond the country we're living in right now. But we've got to have it to give it. Do you remember in the book of Acts when Peter and John were walking up the steps of the temple? And the beggar asked them for an alms. What did they tell him? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. When I come to die, hopefully not soon, I will look at my daughter and I will say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, hope I've given to you. I'm not going to have a lot to offer her. I got a a chunk of land in Jeff Davis County. It's not worth a whole lot. Nobody wants to live over there. Have a car out there. You can have it. All the animals in my office, you can have them. Don't sell them, all right? Don't you call the American Pickers guy to come out and pick my office. You know, make sure you turn it into a museum, okay? The Jeremiah Andrews Ministry Museum. I'm not going to have a lot to leave her. But I want to give her something that's going to matter and help her persevere. And what I hope I give her is a faith that sees beyond this country. And start setting her affections on things above for the next country. That's what a real faith will do. I fear we teach our young people to set their sights too low. To build here, have bigger here, better here. Now look, if God blesses you with bigger and better, hey, that's great. Use it for his glory. That's why he blessed you with it. But you're going to leave it behind. This morning I wore a pair of cufflinks that my dad gave me. Uh, he bought them in Disney World back in 1970-something, and they were in their house when their house flooded back in 1980, I believe it was, the Easter flood up there at the reservoir, and they gave them to me last year. And this morning when I got up, I was very sentimental. What do I want to wear on Father's Day? And so I wore the Superman tie clip that my daughter got me and then the, um, the cufflinks my dad got me. And I can leave those to you, I and mean, you can wear them. I don't know if girls can wear cufflinks, but you can wear them if you want. Turn them into earrings or something like that. But they're going to stay when she's gone. But I can give her something that will help her persevere through this life and through this world and through this country. This is what Jesus is trying to convey in Matthew 16 when he says, Lay not up treasures for yourselves upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. We've got to leave the next generation with a faith that's going to help them persevere through this life. By the way, you know what the Bible calls this life? It's a vapor. It's a vapor. Miley had some money saved up a while back. She's very good at saving money. Isn't it neat how kids can save money? I think it's because parents buy everything for them. She's like, Dad, I have money. I'm like, no, we'll buy it. I don't know why we give her money because we buy everything for her anyway. She doesn't need it. She has a bank called Mom and Dad. And she was at Toys R Us after Christmas, and she wanted to buy a present with her Christmas money. And she's walking down the aisle, and she sees these little critters, what they call calico critters. She's got her eyes closed right now, shaking her head because she knows what I'm about to say. Mom and dad tried to convince her that, ah, $75, wasn't it? More, my wife says more. $75, $100 for these little furry critters. They look kind of creepy to begin with. You know, I was kind of afraid during the night they're going to be staring at you while you're laying there in bed. I tried to say, Miley, you don't want to spend your money on that. You can, look, you can take that to Disney World and you can, you can get two ice cream cones at Disney World for $75, you know. Don't buy the calico critters. We tried to tell her, don't do that, don't do that. She had to have those calico critters, and they had a, what was it, a boat? They had their own cruise ship. And so we got this cruise ship full of calico critters in our house. Do we still have those? No, we sold them. I think we eBayed them. A week later, or two weeks later, 
We tried to convince her, Miley, don't spend your money on the calico critters. But she had to have those calico critters, and she bought them. And boy, she regretted buying them, spending her $75. That was two ice cream cones she didn't get at Disney World because she had those calico critters. But here's what I want you to see. As a parent, I tried to make sure that she didn't invest in something that she was going to regret. And I do fear today, so many people, I'm talking about God's people, we're training our kids to invest in this life and in this world. And they can't take it with them. Joseph says, I want you boys to go ahead and start thinking about the country we're going to. And look, I mean, Joseph didn't even want his bones to stay there. He says, get me out of here. There's going to come a time where the trump of God is going to sound and we're getting out of here and I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. But I'm going to tell you something. Right now is when you begin preparing for that other country. And so Joseph, a loving father, gave them a real faith that's going to help them persevere through. I'll say this and we're done. If the blessings we give our kids, dads, that you're going to pass to the next generation... If the blessings that you give them is based upon the faith you have right now, how much of a blessing would you be to your kids? The Bible says that Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, by faith, blessed. If we were to bless our children this morning based solely on our faith, what would we give them? Would we give them something that prepares them for things to come? Would we give them something that was a priority in this life? And then will we be giving them something that helps them persevere to the next? Remember, dads, you got to have it to give it. I see too often mom is the spiritual leader of the home. That's a fact. I've been preaching 25 years, and I was with my parents who were in ministry, and my grandparents were in ministry, and so often the mom and the wife, it's the spiritual leader of the home. Dads are too macho, we're too making too much money, and yet, oh, how your children are begging for you to pass on something to them that's going to help them get through things to come. It'll be a priority in their life, and they'll help them persevere through this life, and that's a faith that's going to give them the victory. It's going to be hard one day when we're old, we're laying in bed, and we're watching our children go through the nightmare of a country that we have given them. And the scary part is not going to be the country they're living in. The scary part is that we didn't give them what they needed to stand up in it. And I pray this morning, if you don't have a faith worth giving to your kids, that you'll get that right with God today. And let's go back and let's get the faith of our fathers. Let's pass down to them something better than we received. That they may be who God's calling them to be in this desperate hour that our country is living in today. Let's have our heads bowed and our